Well, hey, welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. It is so great to have you here with us on our online service. We're in our new eight-week series where we're digging into Jesus' teachings called the Beatitudes. Now, these are part of a larger teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we explored that the Beatitudes are not just an attitude adjustment. It's not something that if you simply change the way you see the world or others that you'll be blessed. Rather, it's a reflection of the condition of your heart, which has been changed and softened by the Holy Spirit. Now, last week as we looked, we, we started off by exploring what the word blessed means and what is Jesus really saying when he says blessed are and then fill in whatever the beatitude is. Well, the word blessed comes from the Greek word makarios and it means blessed, congratulations, happy, fortunate, or lucky. As we look at this, in other words, Jesus is essentially saying this. Congratulations, you should feel fortunate that you understand something many in the world don't. You are truly blessed to understand and then fill in the blank. Last week, we talked about the poor in spirit. This is the first, the foundational beatitude. Blessed, fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5, 3. So as we look at point one, God's kingdom is for those who are poor in spirit, those who realize that they bring nothing to the table with God. No bargaining power, they are empty-handed. Salvation actually begins by first acknowledging that you need to be rescued. And the work of the Holy Spirit is He helps us understand that we've sinned against God, against others, and even ourselves. Paul writes in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even our best attempt is not good enough to compete with the holiness and glory of God. Oddly enough, Jesus says something next that makes little sense to so many of us, including the world. You must come to Jesus emptied before the Spirit can do the work of filling you up. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. You are emptying yourself, realizing that you bring nothing to God. And then when you do that, the Spirit fills you and the rest of the Beatitudes kind of flow outward. Now, just like the first Beatitude seems odd, the second is equally kind of odd. It doesn't fit with the way the world thinks or works. Why would a person be blessed or happy to be poor in spirit? Well, the second one is even a little stranger. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's found in Matthew 5.4. What possible blessing exists in mourning. I mean, mourning is usually associated with something sad or painful, with death or loss. Mourning hardly seems like something that would bring a blessing with it, but it does. Our culture, we often don't know how to handle grief. I mean, I want you to think about this for a second. How many of you have ever had somebody when you're, you're grieving, maybe you've lost a loved one, and people say something really, just let's be honest, sometimes dumb, trying to make you feel better. It's because we don't know what to do with grief. We don't know what to do with sorrow and sadness. We just want people to feel better. But often our attempt to do it, we actually make them feel worse or we want them to just move past the problem. It actually reminds me of one of my favorite movies in the 90s, The Lion King. Now you're probably familiar with the movie, I'd venture to say probably everyone here has seen it. But there's this scene where the young Simba, he's the young cub, uh, his father Mufasa dies in the act of saving his life. 
What happens is Scar comes in and he convinces Simba that he needs to prove that he's the, the young lion cub who can become a man. And he goes into this valley and ends up causing a stampede of wildebeests. Scar, the evil uncle, then goes and tells Mufasa that his son is about ready to be killed by this stampeding uh, a herd of wildebeests coming in through the valley. And sure enough, here comes Mufasa to the rescue. He saves his son, but in the process, he dies. Scar then finding the, the grieving and shame-filled Simba, who feels guilty that his dad has died, convinces him that his father's death was ultimately his fault and that he should leave the pride. He shames him into leaving, and there Simba goes into the desert, dejected, grieving, and alone, sad and heartbroken. Here comes the scene. Here's Simba on the edge of death. He's not drinking anything. And all of a sudden comes this meerkat named Timon and a warthog named Pumbaa. Finding him, they teach him that ultimately he doesn't need to confront his sorrow, his sadness, his grief. He just simply needs to live out this phrase, this song, Hakuna Matata, which means no worries because it's a problem-free philosophy. They're essentially their way of dealing with Simba's heartache and grief is saying, hey, just don't worry about it. Just move on. Live life free without care. Don't worry about sadness. Just keep on going. And that's what young Simba does. He's just experienced the most painful moment of his life. And these two well-intentioned, now new friends, their advice is simply don't face it. Don't work through it. Don't grieve. Don't, mo don't mourn. Just have no worries. And life will be better. Now, this may sound silly, but this actually is part of how our culture deals with mourning, with sadness. Like most things, there's a lot more going on with this verse than we realize. Now, people often connect when it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted with funerals, with death. But is that actually what Jesus is talking about? Is Jesus, is this a standalone verse? Is it Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And now next is blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or is there something else going on? Now, I truly believe God does offer comfort for those who mourn the death of a loved one, who mourn loss. God does comfort. It's part of scripture. It's part of the nature of God. But is this what Jesus is talking about? Is he talking about the sadness of the loss of a life, the loss of someone who has died? Now, I want to give you kind of a helpful tip. This is kind of a key when reading scripture. Last week, I had mentioned how people will pick and choose parts of the Beatitudes and the rest of scripture just to kind of make their point. Well, you can't do this with the Beatitudes. You see, the Beatitudes are not independent statements. In fact, they flow into each other. When Jesus starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, Beatitude number one, blessed are those who realize that they are spiritually poor, who bring nothing to the table, because if they do this, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He's essentially saying this, the spiritually poor see themselves honestly. They see their shortcomings and downfalls. They don't try and hide or deny their sin or shortcomings or failures or brokenness. In fact, they're honest with it and bring it to God. They grieve over their sin. Now check this out. I used to think that grief and mourning were the same thing. In fact, we often use those words interchangeably. But in reality, they're not the same thing. Grief is the internal emotion associated with the pain and loss. Grief is internal. So 
When you, when you sinned against somebody, when you lose somebody, it's the sadness you feel internally. That's what grief is. For some, when they realize that all the good they've done is not enough to make them right with God, they feel sad. They feel heartbroken. Maybe they feel angry. All these emotions come in, that's grief. They may feel that it's unfair, that they, they should have a level playing field or that they should be able to earn their salvation. So they may feel a loss when Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They grieve that. But what is mourning? Well, Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who grieve. He says blessed are those who mourn. Mourning is the outward visible expression of our grief. It's the manifestation of our feelings. It's the tears associated with pain. It can be outward anger. If you're an artistic person, it can be the expression of grief through song or art or poetry or photography, whatever, dance, whatever it might be. If you're the activist, it's the desire to see change in the world or in themselves. That's what it looks like to mourn. Their mourning is made outward. It's an outward manifestation of their grief. Jesus is saying, blessed are those whose grief is being manifested through outward expression, through tears, through sadness, through anger. All of these things come in, but why? Well, if these Beatitudes are connected, which they are, I think we first have to realize that there are three scars of sin. Yes, I'm purposely playing on words here. There are three scars of sin. The, the first scar, and they're all found in Romans chapter 3, but the first scar is one that's done to our souls. When we sin, our relationship with God is affected. It causes a crack, a divide between our connection with our Creator. Listen to what Romans 3, 11 through 12 says. This is the Apostle Paul. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That scar in our soul basically says we don't want anything to do with God anymore. Then all of us, if we don't have Jesus or the Holy Spirit, even as Christians, sometimes we have that, that feeling. And that's the scar of sin in our lives. It separates our relationship with God. We don't seek God when we are in sin. Scar number two is our words, how we talk to others and ourselves. So not only does our relationship with God affect, get affected, but now how we talk to others and ourselves is affected. Romans 3, 13 through 14. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of viper is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Paul is literally saying, listen, death comes out of your mouth. When sin has entered you, one of the scars that it does is what comes out of your mouth is, it's painful, it's hurtful, it's death. It's not good. And then the last scar is our actions, how we treat others and ourselves. Romans 3, 15 through 17, their feet are swift to bloodshed. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. These scars of sin are what we ultimately need to empty before the Lord. And then we should mourn over them. We should mourn over the lack of relationship that we've had with God. We should mourn over the careless words that have been spoken. We should mourn over the things that we've done that have caused harm to others and our relationship with others. 
Point three, disciples mourn because they understand the devastating impact sin has on their relationship with God, with others, themselves, and the world. Sin fractures and scars relationships. Our mourning is a direct response to the grief we feel from the devastating impact of our sin in the world and on the world. The loss caused by sin. When we feel the grief, that mourning sometimes expresses itself through tears, through sadness. When we see ourselves for what we truly are, spiritually poor and broken, we can't help but grieve and mourn over the impact of our sin. But here's the thing. It first begins by acknowledging our sin, our own brokenness. My sin hurts others. It hurts God and it hurts me. We don't need to look hard to see how our sin impacts relationships. I mean, let's think about this. With our relationship with God, we might have periods where sin has affected our connection, even as Christians. As Christians, those who are made right with Christ, because of Christ, with God the Father, sometimes it feels we feel distant from God because there's sin in our lives. But here's the thing. It's not God who moved. It was us. Sometimes it's the words that we say. It's the others. It's the direct result of an ill-spoken word. How many times have you said something carelessly, not meaning to cause harm, but you did? Maybe, in fact, you thought you were joking or that it was silly or fun, but you see the pain that it's caused somebody else. Much less the times that our words were intentional and painful. I know I've been guilty of that. Or my actions where my thoughtless and sometimes even intentional thoughtful actions have caused hurt to other people. These scars of sin affect us and we should mourn over them. We should not just feel sad, we should demonstrate brokenness. We should demonstrate heartache over them. What we need is a wholehearted approach to following Jesus. We need to look at sin and the world the way Jesus did. Um, when we mourn over our own sin, we also must mourn over the sin of the world because that's what Jesus did. And we're called as disciples to be followers of Jesus. Now, one of the shortest verses in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. But let me tell you what's kind of leading up to this because it's a, it's a great verse to memorize. Almost everyone can do it. But there's some stuff going on in the story here. So one day... Uh, Jesus had three really close friends. He actually had multiple, but there were three brothers and sisters. It was Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Well, Lazarus gets deathly ill and he's actually so sick to the point that he's going to die. And so Mary and Martha send word out to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is going to die unless you come and heal him. Can you please come back? We know that you're busy, but please come and heal your friend, our brother Lazarus. And Jesus delays. Jesus waits four days. Lazarus ends up dying and Jesus finally shows up. Now, often we think that the reason why Jesus wept was because Lazarus had died. Because that's how we respond. When we lose a loved one, we weep because we're not going to see them anymore. We're sad at the loss of life. Martha comes out to meet Jesus, but Mary stays at the house. I think this is important to read. The reason why Martha goes, she's going to go meet Jesus. I think Mary stays back because she's kind of mad. She's angry that Jesus, the person she's put trust in, is choosing not to show up. And he conveniently shows up four days late. 
And here's, what, here's the exchange that happens. Luke 11, verses 21 through 27. This is the first part. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now here's the thing. In, in ancient Judaism, they believed in the resurrection. And so she knows that one day her brother is going to rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, but today's not the last day. Listen to what she says next, or what he says next. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now check this out. Martha basically saying, hey, if you, if you had come earlier, he wouldn't have died. Jesus' response is, is, hey, he'll rise again. And she goes, well, I know, at the resurrection, but this isn't that time. Jesus then says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? She says, yes, but I don't think she quite, quite gets it yet. She then goes and calls Mary to the scene. She gets Mary and Mary comes back. And here's the response with Mary. Now, there's a couple verses in here that I want you to pay attention to. This is 31 through 37. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now we might read this and think that she's just exclaiming, but I actually think she's probably pretty mad. She doesn't understand. She's seen Jesus heal people before, raise them from the dead, do things, but four days. No one comes back from the grave after four days. I think she's coming and expressing her heart. Sometimes in periods of mourning and sadness, it's okay. we need to express our heart, our disappointment with God. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And now here's verse 35. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Yes, Jesus wept because Lazarus had died, but not for the reason you might think. He didn't weep because, Jesus, because Lazarus was dead. His, his weeping was not the same as ours. Why did he weep? Well, first, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So clearly, he's not weeping just that Lazarus died and wasn't going to see him anymore. Jesus knew something nobody else did. Jesus wept for four, three primary reasons. He was crying at the effect of sin on the world. The reason why Lazarus died was because of sin and separation. Jesus wept because unbelief in God ultimately leads to sin. And the pain of sin in the world leads to suffering. Lazarus suffered. He didn't die quickly. He died while sick. It was painful and it was painful for those around him to watch. He wept because they suffered through death. Death was not part of God's plan or rather it was part of the curse. It's not part of the blessing. The ultimate cost of sin is death, ours and ultimately his. We should also be brokenhearted because of sin's impact on the world. Jesus wasn't weeping simply because Lazarus died. It was the reason why Lazarus died. 
It was the unbelief of the Jews. It was sin in the world. It was suffering. It was the consequence of sin, which was death. That is why Jesus wept. We should mourn for the brokenness for the sin in the world, just like Jesus wept for it. We should mourn that the world rejects Jesus. Instead of remembering that people are made in the image of God, they try so desperately to make God in the image of themselves. They chase after false gods, after money, sex, power, happiness, sports, whatever it might be. That should break our hearts that people are going everywhere but to the source to find God. We should mourn over the pain of words spoken in our world. Words of hate, resentment, bitterness, Words spoken in anger, lies that are told. This should break our heart for the world because this is what the world is experiencing. And a lot of it's out of our control. You may have heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break your bones. But here's the thing, words can scar forever. Words are painful. I bet most of you here can remember the most painful words spoken over you by a parent, teacher, friend, or a spouse. I have scars all over my body from different activities, but I don't remember the pain of the scars. I can just look at them and be reminded, but I can still recall some of the most painful words and hurtful words spoken over me as if they were just said yesterday. Some of them were 40 years ago. Words matter. And then lastly is our actions. We should mourn over the actions done in the world, abuse, neglect, violence, rape, murder, All the things, the things that we see, we should mourn over these things just as Jesus did. We should mourn for the world because we are heartbroken by the sins of others, not just our own sins. We need to mourn like Jesus. But Jesus' kind of mourning is different. Now we have to remember Jesus was Jewish. So check this out. Uh, There was this ancient practice that was practiced in the time of Jesus and is actually still practiced today among Jews Uh, that is a way of mourning. It's called sitting shiva. And here's what it means. The word shiva means seven in Hebrew. Shiva, this is uh, according to a guy named Stu G. He wrote a book called Words from the Hill. He says this, Shiva signifies the seven days of mourning after a close friend or family member dies and is buried. The family does something called sitting Shiva, where they receive visitors into the family home. The purpose of the visit is to offer comfort, and the comfort comes sometimes with words. It's being there. It's seeing their grief and mourning. It's joining with them in it. It's being present. Well, what does this have to do with Jesus and the story of Lazarus? I want to bring us back to two verses in John chapter 11. That well, you'll read them. When I read them, I just assume, oh, these were people coming to offer comfort and support like good family and friends do when somebody has died. When the Jews, this is verse 31 and 33. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her. Supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, this sounds like common practice, but there's actually something going on that, quite frankly, would feel odd to many of us. They used to pay people to professionally mourn. They, and they, this actually still exists today. They would pay people who would act like they were in mourning and grief over the loss of, some, uh, over the loss of somebody, but they really didn't care. 
but they were paid actors. And in fact, if they were really good, the goal was that no one would know who the paid mourners were from the actual people mourning. This practice still actually happens. And here we have Jesus who weeps real tears, authentic tears, authentic comfort. Just like with Mary and Martha, Jesus doesn't always show up when we want him to, but he will show up. And when he does, he's broken hearted over sin. He's saddened. He's mourning over the impact of sin in our lives. And that's what it means when it says they will be comforted. When it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, the comfort is the presence of Jesus. Jesus comforts us by what's called the ministry of presence. He reminds us that we are forgiven. He will never abandon or forsake us. He will be there with us and forgive us. He is there with us and he gives us the spirit to be with us. Listen to what Deuteronomy 31.8 says. This is in the Old Testament to the left. The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In those times when we feel sad or overwhelmed by sin, we know that God will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. That in Jesus, he will always be present and we don't need to fear. John 16, 22. So with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no no one will take away your joy. Jesus, is, Jesus offers joy in the midst of heartache because he's there. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus was present for those who mourned and were mourning, we should be present. Just as Jesus mourned over what they were experiencing, we should mourn over experience. But here's the thing. Comfort is an action word. Comforting comes through activity. Comforting is not a feeling. Comforting is something we do. Comfort is doing something to help those who are actively mourning. When we mourn like Jesus mourned, we want to bring comfort to the world. We should be led to act in the world. That's what comfort looks like. Last week, I gave the challenge to pray for the Holy Spirit to break your heart for the things that break God's. I want to offer you a new challenge this week. If your heart is not broken for something in the world, your eyes or your heart are probably not opened yet. Maybe you're just covering them because you don't want to see it. But when Jesus begins to work in your heart and you have the heart of Christ, you begin to mourn over the sins of the world. There are things in the world that you know are not right. And God says, hey, I want you to mourn over those, but more importantly, I want you to bring comfort in the midst of that mourning. So here's the challenge for you this week. What in the world, in your community, is God breaking your heart for? Is there something specific that maybe God has just laid it on your heart that you're going, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. I feel heartache and sadness. How can I bring comfort to people who are experiencing this particular thing? We actually have a great ministry here at Zion called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is, was born out of a desire to bring comfort for those who are mourning. Let me tell you a little bit about it. The ministry exists to minister and come alongside of men and women who have realized that they are poor in spirit. People who have realized that they tried to fill their lives with everything but Jesus and are now coming up empty handed with no bargaining power. They are truly spiritually poor. 
When we truly mourn over our sins, we go to the true source of healing and forgiveness, Jesus. And that's what Celebrate Recovery is all about. It's about going to the ultimate source of recovery, Jesus. Here's the incredible truth. Do you know how Jesus primarily showed us his grace, mercy, and love? How he brings comfort? Through his people. Yes, he gives us the spirit to comfort us, but it's through his people that those who are mourning over their sin experience God's grace and healing. As followers of Jesus, we are all in recovery. Recovery is not just about drugs or alcohol or pornography. That tends to be the big three that we think about. Sex, drugs, and alcohol, Alcohol, right? It's also about recovering from what we talked about last week, the selfies. We need Celebrate Recovery because all of us are recovering from sin. The sin of self-reliance, the sin of self-confidence, the sin of self-promotion, the sin of self-expression. And I'd like to add a new one today, and that is the sin of self-importance. This ministry is such a vital part of Zion because here we encourage people to come and bring their brokenness to God, to weep over what they've done and experience the comfort, forgiveness and healing of community in Christ. That's what Celebrate Recovery is all about. I would encourage you at least, if at the the very least, learn about this incredible ministry that takes place on, on Thursday nights. Mike Bartlett heads it up. Please talk to him, reach out to him. There's several other people, leaders. It is a phenomenal ministry for those who either one, want to help those who are mourning or they themselves need to be comforted. I want to leave you with a big idea. The blessing in mourning is Jesus's comforting presence. His love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness, but also his heart for a hurting world shown through his people, the church. Blessed are those who mourn, who are moved to action because they feel so heartbroken over their sin. They will be comforted because Jesus has not abandoned them. He has forgiven you. He loves you. As I like to say, he's crazy about you and he wants to restore you. Thank you so much for joining us today as we've done this. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we all come broken. We all come with sin. And Lord, there should be times in our lives where we are overwhelmed by the weight of our sin, where we realize the hurt that we've caused others, ourselves, and your heart. But God, we know that when we mourn, you will comfort. That Jesus doesn't stand far away, but he comes near into the pain. Right now, Lord, there are some of you probably watching this today who maybe is feeling overwhelmed and, and they, they're mourning. They truly are mourning over their sin. May your spirit comfort them. May they come to the source of comfort and may they connect with the church. If, they're not, if they don't live in Clear Lake or around here, if they're somewhere else outside of our area, may they find a Jesus-loving church that will help them to grow closer to you, but also to be united with other people that are in the same boat. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.